Tuesday, one and all. Hi there, I'm Austin Horton. Thanks for tuning in to the EP podcast. Grandma, I know you're listening, thanks. My wife, Whitney, love you, thanks for listening. Uh, maybe sometimes my mom and dad and my brothers and sister, maybe. Everybody else that's tuning in, thank you so much. I, I have a little fun with that because it. I, I took a look at the geo... Uh, location on the on the ratings on the numbers I should say for the the downloads and listens to the podcast and there's a lot in Layton and there's a lot down south where my grandma lives and then there's a smattering around the valley but it was pretty funny to I looked and went okay that's where my family is and that's where my grandma is and then all the rest y'all all smattered around the valley. It's pretty funny. But thank you so much for tuning in and for listening and letting me just ramble. Uh, before we get started, I had a really cool experience yesterday while producing the big show that would uh, on Wednesday, where uh, the the and I, it's rare where I have a, a down second where I can uh, answer the the call in line. So if you've ever tried to call the show and it just rings and rings and rings and rings and rings, I promise I'm not just ignoring it. I'm actually doing, doing stuff. Uh, contrary to what Gordon Monson would have you believe, I'm actually back there uh, running around like a madman actually doing some stuff uh, to produce and get things set up for the next segment and on and on and on. But uh, the, was, the but yesterday I had a rare moment where the phone rang and I thought, you know, I haven't answered the phone in a while. Let's give it a shot. And I answered and immediately the, the listener or the caller, I should say, just starts going in on the hoax of coronavirus and how we're part of the the bad side of the media that's purporting this uh, thing that's been overblown and isn't real and on and on and on and on, just spitting fire at me. And I'm of the belief, just so everyone is, is aware right now, I'm of the belief that the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever name you want to use on it, uh, the Rona, the vid, the COVID, whatever. Uh, it, uh, I feel like it is really, really bad, really dangerous. I think that we could have done a better job ahead of it getting to our country to be a little more prepared. 100,000 plus deaths and climbing is not a hoax, folks. That's, that's not a hoax. I am, though, able to compromise and meet in the middle on the hoaxers uh, and, and say perhaps it could have been as bad or worse as advertised if our healthcare workers and first responders and emergency rooms and on and on and on, if they weren't so dedicated and well trained and passionate about helping people, this thing could have been even worse than it has been, even maybe worse than advertised. But as we sit here today, we got a long way to go still. I understand that and I accept that completely. We got a long way ahead of us still. But I feel like we have stemmed that tide enough to where now people are mistaking that somewhat uh, control that we've somewhat some days got a hold of it uh, with. I feel like some people are mistaking that as, well, this was blown out of proportion. I hope you see that as a compromise. Anyway, the, this caller and I went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He'd say his piece, I'd say my piece. He'd call it a hoax. I'd give him an example of someone who uh, had suffered with it, and so that's not a hoax. And anyway, we we spent four or five minutes bashing each other. Uh, there was no cussing. There was no name calling or anything like that. 
but we did raise our voices. We did. We were passionate about it. We were uh, in not enraged, but we were engaged, I should say, in conversation and heated debate. And then we were able to, at the end, come to that compromise I just shared with you, where I expressed to him, look, I'm not meaning to dismiss your side completely. I just think that it's not a hoax. And I don't think it's as bad as it could have been. So let's meet in the middle. I'm not going to sit here and be the type of person that, uh, you know, uh, never leaves my house ever again and buys a hazmat suit and never takes it off for the rest of my life. I'm also not going to be the type of person that goes around licking uh, light light switches in neighbors' houses because I'm not afraid of this hoax, the corona. I'm going to meet you in the middle and say it could have been a lot worse, even as tragic as it has been. And thank goodness for our healthcare workers and their dedication in making sure that we could somewhat get a grip on this thing. And like I said, we still have a long way to go, in my opinion. Uh, but I am no expert, and this fellow was no expert. But the beautiful thing that happened was it was a great conversation, a wonderful debate, and we were able to part amicably, peacefully. And we and we, we I, I told him you you're welcome to call and and debate with me anytime my man anytime because that is what I need more of in my life I need the ability and I think we all need this it's not just me when I say I need I think we all need people in our lives that we can get really heated with without it ever turning personal we can share our most passionate opinions and beliefs with fire in our bellies and songs in our hearts and curse words on the tips of our lips and tongues without that person feeling like it's war with them. And nine out of 10 conversations, especially online these days, are not conversations. They're war. They're acts of war <laughs> and, and regarded as such. And then return fire happens. And that gets us nowhere. We have to find a way to live with this virus amongst us and we also have to find a way to live with each other we have to understand that we all have different viewpoints and feelings and passions and beliefs and we can't just say oh you don't believe what i believe you're out of my life yup you don't believe it th- that it's a you think it's actually b well see your way out of here no th- that's not the way you need to be going about stuff but it's a two-way street if you come attacking me personally, I, I'm not strong enough, I'm afraid to tell you, that to not attack you personally back. So, but it was just, uh, I didn't get the guy's name either. I wish I had, but he's, he was great, and it was fun, and it was uh, educational, and it was just refreshing to be able to express some frustration with each other from our different viewpoints without fr- being frustrated with each other. Does that make sense? We expressed frustration with each other, but we weren't frustrated with each other. I know that's a, that's a word salad there. I'm sorry, but that's, it was just great. And he said something at the end that stuck with me. He said, you know what? This whole virus thing is just making people weird. And he's absolutely right. We're all a little strange these days. And how could you blame us? You couldn't. So anyway, just wanted to start with that today. And thanks to that listener for being so willing to engage and uh, in, in good conversation and debate. And I, I just think we need more of that in our lives day to day.
All right, this day in sports history, May 28, 2010, 10 years ago today, Celtics forward Paul Pierce scored 31 points, snagged 13 rebounds as the Celtics beat the Magic 96-84 in Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals. The victory gave the Celtics a 4-2 series win. They would go on, though, to lose to the Los Angeles Lakers in seven games in the NBA Finals. Also, May 28, 1982, Rocky III was released in movie theaters. The sequel that pitted Rocky, played by Sylvester Stallone, against Clubber Lang, played by Mr. T, grossed $270 million worldwide, which if you... Uh, calculate inflation on that today it would have grossed 717.3 million dollars worldwide that's a pretty dang successful sports movie right there and also big time date may 28 1907 the first isle of man tourist trophy motorcycle races were held in the isle of man in the united kingdom there you go this day in sports history on may 28th All right, just a couple throwaway Thursday items and topics for us to talk about today before we uh, get out and let you have a good rest of your day. We'll see you on a a Wear Red Friday. But I did have a few things that are bothering me, and we got to start with my favorite sport to play and my favorite playoffs to watch, baseball. I have loved baseball since I was a young, young, young kid. I've always loved every sport that I've played. There's not a sport I've played where I didn't fall in love with it. But my big three have always been in order, baseball, basketball, football. Uh, And I didn't play all that uh, much competitive football growing up because I did play a lot of soccer. And when I was young, they kind of clashed at the same time in the fall. And I liked soccer a little bit better then. But nowadays, it's football. But anyway, baseball, I I loved baseball. I could not get enough of baseball. To this day, I thirst for a chance to get back on the diamond, play some softball or whatever, throw the ball around in the yard, play a a wiffle ball tournament. It's just, that is my happy place, is baseball. However, I was a little too unaware when the strike happened in 1994-95 I did not realize at that time what was going on. I was eight, nine years old. I didn't realize the the business side of professional sports. All I saw was me and my buddies playing in a Little League game. That night, the Angels were playing in a big game. And I thought it was was the same thing. This is really cool. I didn't know about millions of dollars and contracts and and the, the adult side of professional sports that ruins it for the kid inside all of us. It's seriously professional sports sometimes reminds me of the movie Hook. Peter Pan somehow grew up. He, he, he left Wonder, or Neverland, Wonderland, he, le- he left Neverland and forgot about it because he grew up and he lost that joy and that innocence and the mischief of youth. And then he, of course, gets back there and is reminded of it and he lets go of his lawyer ways and has some fun again. Well, professional sports sometimes is Peter Pan grown up. These are grown men and women playing a game for millions of dollars, and they let that get in the way of the fact that they get to play a game for a living. And we are seeing another ugly example of the greed and selfishness and backbiting and dishonesty and just downright ickiness 
that professional sports can sometimes be attached to. I am not going to pick a side here. And what I'm talking about is, of course, these return to play or actually begin the season for baseball talks where reportedly back in March, the Major League Baseball owners and the Major League Baseball Players Association came to an agreement on a prorated salary per game played for every player. Well, now, as they look to start the season, the owners are now proposing that each player receive a different, just to keep it simple, a different, much lower amount of money than they had agreed on in March. And their reason for pointing to that is that they did not, they claim they did not realize just how much uh, money they'd be losing without anyone in attendance at these games. When they agreed to these terms, they had hopes that there would still be allowed to be a gate of some kind and there would still be some money coming in from the fans on game days. But as we look at it right now on May 28, it does not appear that there's going to be anyone in mass gatherings and stadiums for some time. Unless baseball wants to wait till the fall, they're probably not going to be able to get people in their stadiums for these games. And so the owners are coming to the players and saying, hey, remember that money we said we were going to pay you? Now we can't. We're losing 40% at the gates on game day, so we've got to cut your salary accordingly. Well, of course, the players are not having that. They won't stand for that, and they're sickened by it, and they're playing hardball, pun intended, I suppose, with the owners. And they're saying, you're worth billions of dollars. You can take a financial bath. You agreed to pay us this amount of money. We're not playing unless you do what you said you would do. And what the result is is a lot of people being turned off from baseball again. Baseball will survive. Baseball will be fine. Baseball will get through it. That's why they can afford to be such selfish monsters, because people that are baseball people will always go back. And I've heard for decades now that people that were turned off by the strike in the early 90s have never gone back to baseball. I would venture a guess and an opinion that two out of every one of those, every, out of every 10 of those that say that, two were actually baseball people before, and eight of them were just casual baseball people. And that's fine. And this, you're going to lose casual fans. You are going to, baseball. You're going to lose those casual fans. But they have 162 games, 81 home games a year. They have as many home games in the regular season, uh, a full regular season, as an NBA has in its entire season. That's how baseball will be all right. They fill these stadiums every day, billions upon billions of dollars. They'll survive, but it does not mean that it doesn't make me sick and it doesn't make me mad and, and that it doesn't make me just furious that these billionaires and millionaires are sitting here uh, in a time that a pandemic is happening, when baseball could be really healing to a lot of people and help us rally around each other and get back into some form of normalcy and have that escape into sports from regular life that we used to have again. And they're sitting around here, uh, around this table, so to speak, uh, just complaining about I don't, I don't want to play for only that much money. I want the millions that you said you'd pay me. And then the owner's going, well, I don't want to take a financial bath like I would if I paid you all the money. It ain't fair on my end, neither. I hate this. I hate it. How about this? How about you get paid $40,000 a season 
to play baseball. How about that? You're going to like that? You're going to do that? How about how about 80% of your revenue that you make at the ballpark has to go to charity approved by me? How about that? Because what I want to do right now with baseball, with the owners and the players, is I want to walk in there like a dad who's had a long day at work and, the, and he get, gets home and, and the, 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 the spouse or partner says to him, the kids are fighting all day. you got to do something about this. And dad just wants to take some Tylenol and have a cold drink or, or, or sit down in front of the TV and veg for a couple hours before he has to get up tomorrow and do it all again. So he marches himself up into that bedroom and you've got Timmy and Susie just, it's my toy. No, it's my toy. And the dad says, how about I break the toy and it's neither of your toy? How about that? Real quick, they they shape up. But the problem is we can't all rally together and and boycott whenever we're allowed to go back to to baseball games. It would be a beyond the Red Sea parting type miracle if we all were able to get on the same page and no one ever attended a game, no one ever bought another shirt, ball cap, jersey, no one ever wanted to support these owners and these players, that would not happen. It's just not likely. In fact, it's improbable and it's impossible. That is dreamland. Uh, if, if you're hoping that that will... If, if you hear people say, well, you could stop going to the games and that'll teach them, no, they'll be fine unless we all stop. But the bottom line remains, I'm just sick and tired of millionaires and billionaires ruining my game. And then you've got clowns like Scott Boris just fueling the flames here. Fanning the flames, I should say, and telling these players, don't bail out the the owners. Uh, This is just... I understand that a guy like, for example, Mike Trout, who was set to make, I believe, $19 million this season under this new proposal from the owners is only going to make around $6 million. I get that that's a $13 million loss. I get that that is a ton, ton, ton of money. I understand that. And he deserves every penny of that contract that he and the Angels signed. However... On the other side of things, there are 40 million people in this country without a job. And if you're going to sit there and complain, and I haven't heard Mike Trout say this specifically, I'm just using his contract as an example. If you're going to sit there and complain about, I only get $6 million, that's not fair, you can shove it. Because there is moms and dads out there in this country right now wondering where they're going to get their child's next meal from. So get your act together, baseball. Figure this out. Swallow your pride. Stop being selfish. Understand that this pandemic happened and it was not your fault specifically. You didn't ask for this to happen. The owners stop using the pandemic as an excuse to nickel and dime the players. And players stop using the pandemic as an excuse to nickel and dime the owners. Play baseball or shut up about it and don't. I'm so sick and tired of these impish children that are are out there talking from the side of baseball right now. It is gross. Get it together or get out of my face. All right, speaking of impish children, Lance Armstrong is back in the news because we needed more of this guy. Uh, Lance, the documentary about Lance Armstrong's rise and fall in the cycling universe. Uh, is out there now for your viewing pleasure, if you'd like. And, uh, I, you know, I haven't watched a second other than this clip I'm going to share with you in, in just a moment. I haven't watched a second of this documentary because I never... I'll, I'll be honest with you. I never, ever, ever for one half second believed Lance Armstrong. 
He got fired up. He yelled and screamed and cussed and swore and sued people and, and, and swore on his dead relatives that he was not doping and he was clean. And how dare you accuse a cancer survivor of such a, an egregious thing? I never believed him for a millisecond. I never wore those yellow Livestrong bracelets. However, even though Lance Armstrong was a liar and a cheat and, a, and scum... He was a cancer survivor, and the Livestrong yellow bracelets have saved millions of lives. So the good did come eventually out of the bad, but this documentary is more about a guy that I have zero respect for as an athlete. However, there is going to be some moments, like the one I'm sharing with you now, where it might shed some light on a changed heart inside Lance Armstrong. Some will hear this clip and think, okay, Lance Armstrong has changed his ways. He has seen where he was wrong. He is sorry. He's he's moving forward, trying to repair things. Others, like me, will see this clip and think Lance Armstrong knows he was wrong, knew he was wrong then, got caught, and is now telling us, well, here's what happened, but it's not necessarily I'm sorry for what happened. That all being said, he does make a really good life lesson type point in this little clip about honesty and dishonesty and just what exactly hangs in the balance from big lie to little lie. Here's Lance Armstrong on that. Nobody dopes and is honest. You're not. The only way you can dope and be honest is if nobody ever asks you, which is not realistic. The second somebody asks you, you lie. Now, you might, it might be one lie because you answer it once, or in my case, it might be 10,000 lies because you answer it 10,000 times. And then you take it a step further and you reinforce it, and hey, you don't ever ask me that question again, right? And then you go sue somebody, that's another, and then it just, so that's why it was a hundred times worse. Because we all lied. This is a big one. Uh, and he's, he's absolutely right. If you listen to that clip with uh, non-Lance Armstrong geared ears, if you're just listening for life lessons and mantras from that, the overall moral is one little lie is so dangerous and it can be so life-altering that is it worth it? And I'm, I'm saying this as a hypocrite because I, like everyone else, has lied in my life. I've told lies. And honestly, of all, the, of all the things I've done in my lifetime, the ones I regret the absolute most, the missteps that I regret the, 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 the most, is when I was dishonest, is when I told lies, is when I looked at people who I loved and respected, or even people who I didn't love and didn't respect and lied to them. And to hear that from Lance Armstrong, whether he's whether he feels sorry or not, which I, I don't believe he does, he is still teaching us a really good lesson there. And this is I, I don't know why this always pops into my mind, but because it, it, it's such a, a tragedy and such an extreme example. But I think it's an important one. I always think to the, the, the murder of Lori Hacking and, and her husband, Mark, who now sits in prison for life for her murder who built up these lies over years and years and years to the point where he was faking like he was going through medical school. 
She believed he was going to school. His family believed it. Her family believed it. And he wasn't. And it got to the point where he murdered her to protect that lie. Now, I'm not telling you that if you eat the last cookie out of the cookie jar and mom says, hey, did you eat the last cookie? And you say, no, that you're going to end up murdering someone. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying, like Lance Armstrong was saying there, is that one little lie, it then takes another lie to cover up that first lie and a third lie to keep the second and first lie going and four and five and 63 and 206,000 to keep one lie going. It's Liars, uh, if you're a good liar, you've got a really strong, good recollection in your memory. Otherwise, you're you're a liar, but a bad liar. And it's just so much simpler and easier and and freeing, literally liberating to be able to tell the truth, good or bad. Good, it's easy to tell the truth. When things are bad and you want to avoid the bad things, that's when you really want to tell a lie. But it's so liberating to be able to just tell the truth, deal with the consequences then, kind of get it over with, and then everyone can move forward and know that they're going to get it straight from you forever. That is a liberating feeling. And it's why number one thing in my relationships is I demand honesty. And I say that, like I said before, as a hypocrite who has done wrong in that realm before. But I think it is so vital and so important to be honest and open and candid with each other while still being polite, by the way. Not just not just saying, oh, if someone asks you, if you go, if you see someone and you think they're ugly, you don't go up to them and say, hey, just so you know, I think you're ugly. I'm just trying to be honest. No, you can still be polite and nice to one another. And if that person asks you, do you think I'm ugly? You can still be honest with them without breaking their heart. You can find a way to gently let them know, you know, you're not my type, but that does not mean that you're ugly to everybody. Now, that probably would get you in trouble say it that way, but think these things through a little better than I just did and tell the truth. Or don't lie in the very least. Change the subject. Move along from it. Get away from it. Just don't. And now I've gotten way off in the weeds because that is actually a pretty bad example. Because honestly, if someone asked you, do you think I'm ugly? That might be the one and only time where you should be allowed to maybe tell a little fib. And, and that is not the truth. So here I am, a hypocrite again. But if it matters, if it's something that absolutely matters, tell the truth, please. Just do it. Don't be like Lance Armstrong and 20 years after the fact have a documentary made where you don't apologize but just say, yeah, you caught me. Don't be that kind of person. And finally today for, uh, for uh, the EP podcast is this from ForTheWind.USAToday.com. One of my favorite sports blogs. They do some really funny, quirky uh, things that are sports-related, like this ranking that they did where they, if the NBA season does resume, and it is in Orlando, here's where each team will stay from best to worst record, and their record determines how nice their accommodations will be. (laughs) And so you've got the five-star stuff for the top four seeds, the four-star stuff, the three-stars, all the way down, and they're all Disney locations, by the way. Obviously, they're not sending you out to uh, Super 8 uh, in uh, Daytona. You've got to be inside the wide world of sports. But they get all the way down to uh, the low of the low, and there's a motel called All-Star Sports. That you have got to take a moment and Google 
the pictures of this because it is truly incredible. The 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 out it's got you know you've got two your classic motel setup where you, you would have a swimming pool in the middle of the courtyard and then on each side of it running the length of the pool double decker and, and in this case triple decker rooms just you know a full or two queen beds right there with a little table a TV and a and a toilet and a shower all in one room uh, you know a motel room and then it but instead of a swimming pool in the middle it's uh, it's made to look like a football field and they've got these huge giant football helmets that sit there as decoration but the and inside but so it's kind of like the most glamorous sports styled lipstick on the ugliest pig you'll ever see because then they show you pictures of inside these rooms and it truly looks like uh, a, a murder scene on the first 48, that television show. Just because they have a Mickey Mouse head-shaped towel on the bed does not make this a place you should probably want to pick to stay if you can afford not to stay there. And it's just hilarious to me when I hear guys like Damian Lillard complaining about, and I love Damian Lillard, but when I hear guys of his station and stature and and prowess in the league complaining about meaningless games, why should I have to play? I just love to think of those types of rich millionaire crybabies having to go back to Uh, G League level, and I'm talking original years G League level type accommodations. Uh, In fact, how about, speaking of the angry dad scenario with baseball a moment ago, how about we have a dad come in here and fix this? How about a dad says, fine, you don't want to stay at All-Star Sports? You're at the KOA for the duration of this two-month period as the NBA plays the season out. How about that? How about you go sleep in a hammock? Uh, outside the national park. How about you have a, you find a, a bench inside Main Street Disney World and you just crawl up on that bench each and every night like a, like a, a homeless person that's uh, locked in Disneyland. How about that? You like having a shower and a toilet at your disposal or not? How about it? What would you like, D-Lil? Do you want a bed to sleep in or not? Get over it. It's one time. This is it. This is a one-time experience. Next year, you'll be back at the Ritz-Carlton. You'll be back at the penthouse. You'll be fine. You can survive a few weeks in Disney World playing basketball for millions of dollars. All right. That's it for a Thursday edition of the EP Podcast. I am sorry it was a bit of an angry episode, but boy, I just feel so much better telling these rich millionaire athletes where to stick it and these owners where to take it. And I love it. Uh, It makes me feel so much better, even though none of them will ever hear it and this won't change anything, but it makes me feel a lot more zen to be able to exorcise that anger, that frustration I have here on the podcast. So thanks for tuning in. I will see you tomorrow on a Wear Red Friday edition of the EP Podcast. I'm Austin Horton. Until then, be good to each other. Now for the laugh of the day. <laughs> uh, I'm originally from Boston, but I've been living in New York for 10 years, and my mother's still back in Boston. And I wish I could say that I missed her, but she doesn't really give me the opportunity to. Uh, she calls me like 15 times a day. The other day, she tried to send me a selfie, and I got like a 10-second video of her chewing gum. She was like, I tried to send you a selfie. I'm like, oh, I know. I have the evidence. 
But her new thing now is she just got one of these Amazon Alexas, you know, these voice command machines. So now she likes to call me and let me listen to her heckle, Alexa. You know, so I'll get these calls. She'll be like, listen to this. Hey, Alexa, you smell like rotten eggs. And then you hear Alexa go, that's not very nice. And my mother's like, eh, I'll call you back. <laughs> I just picture her sitting there all day roasting this poor machine. Uh, Alexa's like, how can I return myself? I can't live like this. My mother does it. She loves to talk on the phone. And uh, she leaves me a lot of voicemails about unimportant things. You know, it's almost like she's an, an investigative journalist on minutia. You know, uh, so I'll get these calls like, hey, uh, I'm at the red light by the Burger King in West Quincy. You should see the line at the drive-thru. Call me back. <laughs> and then like five minutes later, I'll get a call like, they're doing a Whopper Junior special here in Boston. I don't know if they're doing it in New York. Call me back. <laughs> and I'm like, I haven't had a Whopper Junior in seven years and I want to know how much it costs. And she has sparked my curiosity. A lot of times, though, I'll be honest, like, sometimes I don't pick her up. You know, I'll see her calling, and, and uh, the other day she tricked me. She called me from an unknown number. And, uh, and I picked up, and she was like, can you hear me? I was like, why are you whispering? She was like, I'm at work, and the toilet overflowed. <laughs> why are you whispering about that, Ma? She was like, I flushed my peach pit down the toilet. I go, why'd you do that? I was on the toilet, eating a peach. <laughs> I got all mafia about it. I'm like, have you told anyone else about this? This is what you're gonna do. You're gonna buy some peaches. You're gonna put them on the intern's desk. And we're gonna make this go away. 